0: Rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say, we're so happy to have Ken here with us. You guys know him really well. You can kind of, kind of come up here, Ken. Uh, you can come up. Uh, but uh, it's just so encouraging to know that uh, 80 years ago, uh, Ken was able in his late 20s to start the MRBC. It was so nice of you, Ken. Um, but we, we love, I've loved, Ken was here when I was installed at North Park, and he's been a good friend and... and uh, <laughs> I was a good friend. Thank you, Ken. We're just glad to have him speak with us today. Thanks, Ken. (laughs) Oh, man, don't laugh. Some of you are older than me. (laughs) Would you join me, please, in the Gospel of Luke? We're going to actually focus on one very specific parable from Luke chapter 13. But to set the context, I'd like you to join me in Luke chapter 12. As you turn there, just want you to know that we have what we believe to be our final uh prayer card uh for this uh this year. And uh I, I noticed when we were coming today, I actually am wearing the outfit that I was wearing in this picture. I do have other clothes. I just wanted you to know that. But uh anyway, uh those will be available, we're gonna give them to our missions committee and those will be available for you to support us in prayer. And Corey, you're here. Corey Lizzy took our first prayer card picture. And I was in a church yesterday where that one was still on the on the board. Now, I've really not improved at all over the years that I've been away from North Park and the MERVC, but Sharon gets better looking every year. So I told them, here, please change that picture so that my wife will look even more radiant than she uh, did back in 2006. So anyway, but Corey, thank you again for your ministry in our lives. Luke chapter 12, I'd like us to pick up the context in verse 54, Luke chapter 12, verse 54. He, speaking of Jesus, also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming, and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky But why do you not know how to interpret the present time and why do you not judge for yourselves what is right as you go with your accuser before the magistrate make an effort to settle with him on the way lest he drag you to the judge and the judge hand you over to the officer and the officer put you in prison I tell you you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. And there were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the town of Siloam fell and it killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No. I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I've found none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, sir let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. And then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to share from your word for these precious moments ahead. We are burdened because we recognize that we live in a very difficult time in in, uh, the world's history. Uh, In many ways, though, it's very similar to what our forebears in the early church had to deal with. And it certainly even reflects what Jesus observed in his incarnational ministry on this earth. We pray that as we would reflect from this text today what these principles would mean for us in this day and in this time as the church of Jesus Christ That you'll stir our hearts, that we will recognize potentially the same type of issues that Jesus was challenging them with at that particular time. And that we would desire as fully functioning disciples of Jesus Christ. To bear fruit that brings honor and glory to your name as individual believers and even more significantly as local churches that are called to declare the great glories of God in our communities, in our regions, and around the world. Lord Jesus, be glorified as we share together now as your church. We pray this in your name. Amen. And I just have to say as we come to this text that we need to remember something pretty significant. And by the way, there's no PowerPoint. There are no notes. You, I wanted this. I didn't know what the time framework would be because of this missions emphasis I want to focus, without distraction on my part, by trying to stick to a PowerPoint or an outline, I want to focus on what I believe to be most significant for us to understand in the moments that remain in the worship time together this morning. We have to remember when we come to this text that Jesus is in the middle of his now public ministry. For several weeks and several months, he's been sharing with his disciples, do not, do not share publicly what is going on here. But now he's very fully engaged in public ministry. He's out on the streets, he's, he's dealing with people uh, according to their needs, but during all this time he's being attacked and addressed by the religious establishment and the political arena that was, was currently uh, gathered and a part of that uh, culture at the time. While he is challenging most specifically Israel as he presents himself to them as the Messiah, in general, he's also talking to his would-be followers, and especially those who would become part of the Twelve, the ones who would become the apostles to help establish the early church, and with those apostles, those who would by faith accept Jesus Christ as the true Messiah, the Christ, and be a part of that natal infant church as it is birthed, as is written for us in Acts chapter 2. So while the specific emphasis of Jesus' time in this text is with the children of Israel and calling them to recognize him for who he is. There's also a very practical principle that I believe relates to us today that i like to focus on for the moments that remain. Because this Messiah Redeemer is in many ways calling out his church, even before the church is officially birthed, to help us understand how we relate to the times in which we live. And here we are 21 centuries beyond this time that we're reading about today Still with the same calling, still to have the same focus as they did, even in the uh, preview of what the kingdom would be like as they would preach it. Now, in the text that we read, there are three questions that Jesus poses, and I'm not going to take time to really emphasize the first two questions, but you probably noticed that at the end of the time when he's talking with them about their talk about the weather, I, I think it was Warren Wiersbe who said, what are we going to do in heaven when we don't have the weather to talk about anymore, Right. I mean, it's going to be perfect. You don't have fronts coming through. Meteorologists will be out of business. Uh, Half of them should be out of business now, frankly, for the track record they have. If you're a meteorologist, I apologize. Um, But you've got to admit, at times, that's true. The question in that setting was why? Why do you spend so much time focusing on things that frankly are going to change before you even get done talking about it? And frankly, tomorrow won't even matter to you unless it's something catastrophic. But even that will just be an event that you mark on your calendar if it had some kind of a personal impact in your life. So rather than talking about weather, W-E-A-T-H-E-R, you should be talking about weather, W-H-E-T-H-E-R. Whether or not, people understand and discern the times in which we are living. His point in asking the why question is, why do we spend so much time, those of us who not only know the truth that sets us free, but have now been called to engage in our culture and to interact with others with that truth, why do we spend so much time talking about trivialities? It's fun to talk about, you know, different types of things in our culture, But when it gets down to it, if that monopolizes our time, we have missed what Christ has called us to as his church. And so he says, why do you spend time on weather when you should be asking people the question whether or not they are discerning the times? Which brings us then to the next question, and that is the question, where? And he uses two very clear illustrations that all the Jews would have understood to bring it up. He talks in, at the end of chapter 12 regarding those who would be arrested and, and taken to prison. There's judgment coming for them. And Jesus is saying it not to point out to those who have been arrested, but to, to point to everyone that was gathered in his presence. Do you realize that you already have a death sentence in your life? Do you understand that you are, your your feet are pointed towards judgment even though it may not officially have been enacted yet? I remember years ago, I preached a message here based uh, off the title of a, a popular movie at the time called Dead Men Walking. And I talked about dead man walking and the fact that we are people, apart from Christ, who are dead. We're lost. We are already. It, it is as certain that we are hell bound and in hell as if it was taking place right now until Jesus Christ does his transformative work through the gospel in our lives. So. Jesus was saying in the first illustration, we need to be talking about where are you heading? And if you understand, as the Bible is so clear in discussing it, that we are bound for hell apart from the saving work of Jesus Christ, then rather than waiting until you see the final judge, the supreme judge, why don't you try to work out an arrangement before you get to that point? And the issue is this. While God still gives us breath, we still have an opportunity to. To receive by faith Jesus Christ because of his saving grace that can be put into action in our lives. And again, for those of us who have already embraced that and received that by faith, now's the time for us to be talking about these dead people walking about their destiny. It's secure, it's sealed in doom, and we have the wonderful message of salvation to share with them. The second illustration in the early verses of chapter 13 is this. They were talking about a couple of different things. You know, first of all, there was a the thing going around about Pilate killing uh, some Jews and sprinkling their blood there in the in the temple. And uh, and he's hearing this talk as he's walking the streets. No doubt, maybe some had asked him about it in the past. So he said, "Okay, I'm just going to deal with this publicly." Why are you so caught up with that? I mean, yeah, it's horrible. It's a, it's atrocious. But do you realize that beyond those who's who were martyred because of their Jewish belief? There are thousands and millions of others every day that are facing their own death and destiny. Do you think, he says, that the people who died in the tower died there because they were somehow more sinful than you are? Understand, all of our feet are pointed towards judgment unless God has intersected your life. So he uses these little uh, poignant illustrations that Luke uh, determines by the spirit's direction to include in his gospel. But then he decides he's going to illustrate it and he uses a parable. And this is where I want to really dig deep into the text. He says here in chapter 13, beginning in verse, verse 6, he says, He told this parable. Now, we had the joy here at North Park several years ago to have Warren Wiersbe with us a couple of different times, and that was because of our good friend Jim Bob, as we know him, Jim Bob Weaver, who was an editor of Baker Books at the time, and some of you know Jim and Kathy, and uh, they, uh, Jim actually was one of Warren Wiersbe's editors, so Wiersbe was here one time, this explanation of parables is something I was jotting down vigorously while he was sharing it from this pulpit. Well, not actually this one, the old Doc Ween's 20-foot-tall pulpit that used to be here on the platform. And um, I was scribbling it down. Maybe you did as well, but he explained parables so well. Wearsby says that the word parable comes from a, a compound Greek word that means you throw or cast something alongside of something that you're trying to explain, As a matter of fact, the word itself has the idea of something of comparative value. When Jesus is talking parables, he's using it from the Hebraic perspective, which talks about the fact that this is a proverb. It's something that has a a point of godly, heavenly wisdom attached to it. And as I'm sharing a parable, he's saying, you really need to pay attention. But frankly, most of the audience that he said that to are not going to get what he's talking about. Because there was a point to these spiritual parables. Parables make up 35% of Jesus' teaching in the Gospels. And there was a reason for that. For those who are in tune with God because of their personal relationship with God, Jesus wanted them to understand how pivotal the moment that they were approaching was for them and for the world around them. Whereas we said this here at North Park. Here's the purpose of a parable. First, you look at the parable to see the point. It's kind of like a picture. You look at a picture, you might notice certain things the first time, and then the next time you look at it, you might notice different hues or different dynamics, the shadows and everything that are a part of it. But as you continue to peer into the picture of the parable, what begins to come out of it is like, remember back in the day, I think it was back in the 90s when they started doing these pictures, that if you stared at them long enough, you'd see another image inside of them. My dentist had one of those on his walls for years, and it drove me nuts. I used to get root canals, it seemed like, every other week. And I'd be sitting in the chair, and I'd be staring at this picture. And I know because they put at the caption at the bottom, Hey, dummy, this is a space shuttle if you look hard enough. And I, I, it took me about four, four visits to the dentist to finally see it. And I'm, I'm gauzed up because i are getting ready to go in there and drill. And I'm, Oh, it's doing it, it's doing a shot, you know? A parable is designed so that when you peer at it long enough, you see yourself. There's a point in the story that is supposed to impact you and help you see where you're at in your life. And then secondly, as you peer at that picture long enough and the story long enough, you see God. You see God in terms of his relationship to you, to relationship to the others who might be in the parable, and the point that God is wanting you to see about him in the picture But thirdly, as you peer at it long enough, this parable lets you see how God sees you. And so, verse 6, he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look, for three years I've been coming seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none cut it down why should it use up the ground and he the one who was the uh, one overseeing the vineyard said sir let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure and if you were ready for lunch that just ended your lunch cravings for the moment then if it should bear fruit next year well and good but if not you can cut it down so we're gazing into the mirror of this parable. James talks about that in James 1, where we're not to be just uh, uh, a hearer of the word, uh, but a doer of the word. We're supposed to peer at it so that it's like a glass, like a mirror that we can see. So I'm not sure where God's going to take you today in this parable, because there are multiple applications to what he's sharing. But the point of the story is this. There's a dilemma in this vineyard. Now, there were all kinds of vineyards in um, in uh, Palestine And, um, typically vineyards, uh, take a lot of land and you've probably seen them even here in West Michigan. One of my favorite times of year is coming up soon. I love when I get to drive up the West side of the state of Michigan and see the apple blossoms and different things. And, uh, part, of, part of the issue for uh, those who own vineyards is that it takes up a lot of land, but if you, look, if you notice a vineyard, there's a lot of empty space. And so what a lot of these men would do to gain more money and gain more production out of their land as the landowner, they would plant a particular other kind of tree or something to be able to make another side, a kind of a side gig, another kind of uh, income. And so a lot of times, because... Fig trees didn't take up a lot of room and didn't branch out where it would cover up the light sunlight from the grapes at particular times. They would plant fig trees. And this man had shared with the one that he had hired to oversee his vineyard. Hey, let's plant some fig trees, and maybe there was only one. We don't know from this story, but he says, I want you to plant this fig trees. Number one, I enjoy figs, obviously, because he's stopping by every year to try to taste from it. And secondly, we'll bring another side product and another investment income into my portfolio. And so that's what he does. But he comes three years in a row, we're told, and he finds no fruit. It's interesting because Jesus will use a fig tree for another illustration, another parable at, a, at another time in the Gospels to illustrate some ideas regarding the same issue from another perspective. But here's the point that Jesus is making here. This owner of the vineyard had established this vineyard and every plant in the vineyard to produce certain kinds of fruit at certain times and certain uh, areas of of, of his experience with those uh, plants. The owner was the one who would direct what the product should be and how frequent that fruit would be born out of the property that he owned. And so that's why there's this tension in this parable. He comes, he's expecting results from what he himself has personally invested in in his money he's actually been really patient in regards to the productivity of the fruit that would result from these plants in the vineyard and yet as he comes once again he's extremely disappointed to the point now where he's saying something has to be done with this and as a matter of fact because this particular plant is unproductive he looks at the one who runs the vineyard and says cut it down cut it down Let's think quickly about what this vineyard owner didn't do here. First of all, he didn't lower expectations. He didn't say, well, you know, I understand the weather's been bad and all these things. He didn't go back to what Jesus was pointing out in chapter 13. He didn't go to the weather. He said, I, well, you know, I know it's rough times and, you know, you're getting, maybe, I don't know what the guy running this place was like, if he had a good background professionally in terms of, of uh, in agriculture or what, but he just, he does not cut slack in this situation, nor does he ignore the problem. He doesn't come the next time thinking the next year, I just won't go near that tree because I just, I don't want to, again, deal with its lack of fruit bearing." He doesn't offer excuses in any way. He says, cut it down. And so here's the guy running this place. And I'm frankly, you look at this and you say, well, what was he doing all this time, John? I mean, he's had three years now. He's on the fourth year. And, and all these things are supposed to be produced. And, and, you know, all the design is there. You know, I'm sure they've talked through here's how we're going to do this or that. And, and still there's no fruit. The one running the vineyard Says to the owner, Give me one more year. Please, one more year. And here's what I'll do. Those of you who are keen to agriculture will appreciate what he says. Which, again, I'm wondering, why didn't you do that the first year? But that's not the point of this parable, as at least I look into the mirror of this parable for my understanding and application, because my thought would be, dude, after a couple years. It could be that you're pretty dumb, that you're not getting the the, the understanding of this situation. But he doesn't say that. He just says, give me one more year. I will break up the ground. I will fertilize it. That's the manure application there. "I'll, I'll fertilize it. And if you come back next year and there's no fruit born, we'll cut it down. It's interesting Picture, isn't it? It's interesting how in the word of God, especially in the New Testament, the the, the believers of Jesus Christ, the church of Jesus Christ, is frequently referred to as a plant or an organism of some kind. One of the one of the key texts that talks about our relationship with God through his word and the growth that is to result, we're told that we're to be rooted and grounded in the truth. Remember that principle? Uh, we heard that even about the discipleship program here at North Park. And it's important for us to remember that fruit bearing, it doesn't come because we realize at the last minute, we're, oh, we're going to be judged for this. And so we, we get in our cars, we drive to Meyer, we buy the best looking fruit they have there or whatever your favorite fruit place may be. And then we go out to the trees that are barren and we try to somehow glue or attach or stitch them to the tree thinking that somehow that's going to look good. In my opinion, I just described what a lot of churches and a lot of Christians try to do. We try to take shortcuts in fruit bearing. And the picture of this illustration, at least from my perspective as I read it, is this You can't shortcut a relationship with Jesus Christ. Church, you cannot shortcut what God has called us to do through the gospel, through the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. It takes time, it takes effort. It takes fertilizing, it takes watering, and it it then, as a result of that, demonstrates fruit-bearing. But let's be honest, we try to shortcut that. We try to somehow simulate spiritual productivity without the sweat, equity, spiritual investment that it requires. And we've all been there and done that. Maybe you're there now and doing it. I constantly have to fight that. I just turned 49 last Sunday, a week ago today. I know I, know I look younger than that, but I just turned 49. By the way, a week, week after Roe v. Wade went into law, I came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ in the middle of my senior year of high school. And I don't want to go there. Some of you know our story as a family, but uh, that law greatly impacted my extended family. In ways that are still being borne out today. The fruit's not there because the roots. Aren't established. God wants us to look in the mirror of his word. As individual believers. And as a church. And honestly ask what does the fruit look like and humanly speaking we will try to camouflage that or produce that in non-spiritual ways we'll try to impress people by our outward works while our heart is 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 pretty barren we'll try to find the thing The newest and improved product to help us when, frankly, what Pastor John was talking about earlier in the service is all about not just having the right program, but having people who are willing to be fruit-bearing investors by allowing the roots of their lives to be dug around, fertilizer engaged, and watch how God gives the increase. And that's my biggest burden. I'm in a different church every week. Sometimes this week I was actually at four different churches in the space of a week since last Sunday. And three of the four, not talking about this parable, but in some ways I'm saying you've got a major, major problem. And I was with a church yesterday in Jackson where I said, you realize that if you go the way you're going right now another two years, you're done. They were talking about all these things that were artificial fruit and I said but you know I'm an outsider and I've been here a few times now and I've been looking and I'm not the judge God is but I will tell you as I look at you and compare it looking in the mirror of the word of God you're close to being flatlined if you're not already I almost felt like the the owner of the vineyard but I'm not because I'm not Christ but I said if you don't make changes soon that begins with going back down to the roots You're in trouble. Would you agree with me that a lot of what you see, especially in the North American church right now, are a lot of tumbleweed Christians? They started out well, but the roots don't go deep, and they are not being nourished, and they're just blown by every wind of doctrine or every wind of controversy or every spike of COVID or every political issue that comes up and they're coming up it's just it's a pandemic of that isn't it and the enemy loves when we are allow ourselves to get engaged in that from the wrong perspective and we either in fear say I'm not just going to say anything or I'm going to be bold and I'm going to put this out and let everyone know where I stand and then you realize about 20 minutes later you were wrong and God says It's not wrong to engage with others, but you better make sure that when you engage, it's based upon the word of God. And it's declared from someone whose roots are deep and grabbing the rich soil that God has cultivated for them because they've been willing to submit themselves to what God Has called them to do. I don't know if you noticed, but there are at least a couple times that Jesus, in this whole series of uh, illustrations and in the parable, there's one word that pops out that he keeps talking about, and it's the word repent. You need to repent. You need to repent. You're not seeing things clearly. You think it's about you and what you can do when it's really about God and me, the Messiah. And the word of God, which transforms hearts and changes lives, that's what it's all about. And if you don't understand that and you allow God to reengage with you in a way where you are beginning to have roots that are once again soaking in the wonderful nourishment of, of nutrition and nutrients and the water that God gives through his word by the Holy Spirit, you're in desperate trouble. Jesus would say that in a different way to the churches of Asia Minor in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. He just point blank points it out there in the idea and, and the demand of repentance. Here he illustrates it for us. And I think it's something that we need as churches in America today to take to heart. The key issue as we close this morning is your willingness, our willingness. Your willingness as an individual believer to allow God to continue to do his perfect will and work in your life. And for us as a body of believers, if we are willing to let God allow us the opportunity to soak in the riches of his word and then engage with one another, building one another up in the precious faith and sharing that faith with those outside the walls and confines of this campus, all over our community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's an interesting close to this parable, isn't there? Did you notice it? It's not what Jesus says, it's what he doesn't say. He doesn't tell us what happened. He just leaves us hanging. He's a master storyteller, better than I could ever be, obviously. Because as you read it, and I read it, and everyone reads it between the time that he said it and in the eternal word of God as it's preserved for us, every person who reads this, and every church who reads this will write their own story and write their own conclusion. You say, well, but God's sovereign. He, he's the one who orders everything. Yes, but he gives us the opportunity to respond to him and honor him. We see that experientially every day in our lives, good and bad. He doesn't end the story so that we can either walk away from it feeling bad or being rejoicing and happy. Because the issue is not what happened to that guy in the vineyard or to the fig tree. It's about where are you at in your life? And what kind of fruit will you produce and will we produce for his honor and glory? Why are you here? Just to talk about the weather? I, I, I can guarantee you that it'll be Okay. Uh, there will be a few that will want to talk about the game back on, um, what was the date? No, I'm thinking of the one on uh, January, or on December 31st, and then the one on January. 1st. Did you know the Buckeyes are undefeated this year? Want to know? You know what? Yeah. I, I, I'm Frankly, you probably saw, I didn't know it, but someone posted a picture on Facebook of me last weekend when my poor beleaguered Bengals won the game and they're in the Super Bowl. And yeah, I'm ramped up about that, but you know what? That game will be played a week from now, as God allows, and it'll be said and done. Life goes on. Why are we here? Is it about the weather or sports or weather the people we're engaged with? are certainly your eternal destiny with Jesus Christ. Where are you headed? Are you someone who has your feet fixed firmly on the path of salvation because of what Christ has done in saving you from your sin and placing you into an eternal path of glory? Or do you recognize today, maybe for the first time, that you're going to meet a judge, the ultimate judge, who's already told you your sentence You're condemned in your trespasses, your sins. But has offered you the way of escape because of his saving grace. And today could be the day of your salvation. And that's my prayer if that's the case for you here or someone watching on this this video. What is the evidence of your fruitfulness? Frankly, for me here today, invited as a missionary of the month, as one of your pastors that God has gifted to this church over uh, decades and over well over a century now, I wouldn't be doing what God's called me to do without asking you, as as our dear church, what kind of fruit are we producing that bring honor and glory to His name? I can't write that ending for you, but you will, and by God's grace, it can be glorious. When you let him be the one who tends the soil of your life. Thank you, Father, for the time to share together this morning. Oh, Lord, we thank you so much for these dear folks. They are so precious to us. And I look out as I'm speaking and it's hard for me not to just reminisce about experiences and situations that we've all shared together. And I'm so blessed because I look out and there are some people I don't know at all. It means that you're continuing to do a good work through the ministry of this local church and the dear people that are a part of it. But God, we know, we, we just want to honestly say to you, we know we aren't where we should be. And so we pray that we'll continue to look into the mirror of this parable as Luke recorded it, as Jesus declared it, and deal with the issue of fruit bearing. Help us not to try to camouflage it or manufacture it artificially but help our roots to run deep as we continue to look to you the originator and the completer of our faith for your glory lord we pray in your name amen